Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. We happen in this era, in this time, as these apostles would organize churches to be set up. And we see that even in Timothy and Titus. Contrary to popular opinion, Timothy was not the pastor at Ephesus. Rather, he was there to set pastors up. That's the reason he's given the qualifications for an elder. The church had been had begun in Ephesus, and Paul tasked Timothy under the authority of an apostle to set pastors in these churches in the area of Ephesus. In the book of Titus, we see the same thing. Paul had tasked Titus Titus to go to the island of Crete where churches had already been beginning and to set pastors into these churches. And again, that's the reason we have these requirements of elders and deacons in both of these epistles. Because Paul was explaining to Timothy and to Titus both, when you are setting men in position to oversee the flock of God, they need to be certain kinds of men. They don't need to be the men that go to the temple of Diana and prostitute themselves. They don't need to be the men who are known to be brawlers. There's, we know all these requirements. We know all these definitions that Paul gives. And the reason that he does it is because he's saying to these two men, when you set pastors in these churches, this is who they need to be. To go a little bit further into that, it wasn't difficult for Timothy and Titus because when you are in and around a church, giftings show themselves. And I won't go into a lot of detail on that because that's not what we're covering tonight. But that is the responsibility of the church and of the leaders of the church even is to identify the giftings in people. And Paul tells Timothy to stir those gifts up yes. because it is a lot easier for, for me to stand here and do something that I have been gifted to do instead of, me doing something that I have not been gifted to do. If I've not been gifted to do it, then you are going to have to guilt me into doing it, and I'm not going to like doing it. I'm going to get burnt out very quickly, and I don't want to do it anymore. That's a lot of times when we see people who seemingly get into doing something, and then they burn out, and you don't see them doing those things. is because that was not their gifting. It was a misidentification of their gifting. Typically, and that happens because... <laughs> Churches need people in certain areas, so they say, hey, I want to stick this person here and this person here. But if the church can identify the gifts in someone, then what Paul says happens is that the church will be built up. He said we have been given many gifts. Many people have been given many gifts, and he says the reason that those gifts are given are for the building up of the church. The church receives these gifts that God has given through his his graciousness to his people. But I'll save the rest for when we go through 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. So, let's get into the epistle of John. We're going to look at verses 1 through verse number 8. There we read, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, 
even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if, I, if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may be fellow helpers to the truth. So John here in this epistle is doing something very similar to what he has done in second John and the second epistle of John. If you want to turn one page back, you'll see that the second epistle of John is written to the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. And you'll see that same phrasing in third John to the elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Most likely, 2 John was written to a church, an assembly of people. When he writes about the elect lady, it is most likely writing about the church and the people who are assembling in that church. But it is written again to the leadership that was in the church there. Third John, also written to an assembly of group of people, but is specifically named a person in verse number one. That person is Gaius. Gaius was a familiar name. It was a name kind of like Bill would have been back in the, I guess, 80s and 90s. I don't know what people call their kids today because my kids have weird names and most other people's do. So there's not really any names that are common. As a matter of fact, we jokingly used to say whenever I was in my teens, I guess, you would talk to most girls and almost every single one of them had the same middle name. It was either Marie or Elizabeth. It was just common. And that's kind of what Gaius was in the first century. Gaius was a common name. It was a name that a lot of people had. So we don't really know who this man was specifically other than the fact that he was likely in leadership in the church that John was writing to. But what John does say is that he loves Gaius in the truth. As we're going to go down through some of what we see here, what I want to try and do is put a understanding of what it means to see what it is to walk in the truth. Because we can say that. Even verse number four, there's probably most of us have been walking up and down an aisle in Hobby Lobby and seeing this verse there. I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. But what does that mean? We can say that, we can even apply it to ourselves and our own children, but what does it really mean? And what John does here is he gives us an understanding of what walking in truth is 
And if we see what walking in truth is, we can start to understand why he's saying the things that he's saying here in the text. Verse number two, he says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. If you notice the word that Paul, you, Paul, I'm going to say Paul, it's really John. So if I say Paul, autocorrect and put John in his place. But what John says here, he says beloved. And that was one of John's favorite words. He uses this word beloved four times in this epistle. So we have 14 verses. He uses beloved four times. And in his first epistle, 1 John, he uses the word beloved six times. But this word beloved doesn't really grasp in English what it would have meant when John said it. We hear beloved and we, we thank someone that we dearly love, but it's even more powerful than that. When Paul says beloved, it's almost like he is saying, I love you more than anybody else that I have ever known. Like that's what's in John's heart. It's a, it's a intense love. He's saying, my esteemed one, my dearly loved, my favorite, if you want to put it that way. And Paul says this about all of the ones that he writes to. Again, I said Paul, John. John says this about all the people that he writes to. He calls them beloved because he understands who they are. What John does when he uses this word beloved, he's capturing God's heart for them and it's coming through him. He understands that the identity of these people that he is writing to is not necessary, necessarily people who just love God, but he's writing to people who are loved of God. And people who are loved of God in an intense kind of way. We can be called people who love God. But only after we understand that we are loved of God. Because when we see that he loved us, what does the scripture tell us? That we love because he first loved us. When we see that we are loved of God, we can love God and we can love other people. And that's in a sense, what we have John doing here, John is showing love for other people in, a, in the same way that God has shown love for them because John has understood God's love for him. If you go over even to the gospel of John, what does John call himself? He says, the disciple who Jesus loved. John wasn't boasting in that. He wasn't saying, well, I was just his favorite, so all y'all guys can go do whatever because I know who his favorite was. Even, I, even my children do that. I did that with my siblings. We'd say, well, I know who mom's favorite really is, or I know who dad's favorite really is. She was the one who was getting in trouble the most because they were getting the most attention. So if we're going to go with that definition, then Peter was probably Jesus' favorite. But... John here understood that Jesus loved him because John understood who Jesus was and why Jesus was there and what Jesus was doing. He called himself the disciple that Jesus loved because he knew Jesus' love. And because he knew the love of Jesus, he was able to convey this out to his readers. 
throughout all of his epistles, we see this 10 times, this same word used. And it again, it captures God's heart. It lets us understand from the mouth of John how God loves his people, how he loves his children. He says here, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. John says here, he says, I wish more than anything that you may prosper and be in health even as thy soul (laughs) prospereth. In a sense, what we see John say here, he says, I know and I see how your soul is prospering. He's going to tell him that that's his greatest joy to see this prosper inside of Gaius. And he said, I wish more than anything that what I see in you was happening outside of you too. I wish that I could see you prosper in all other manners. He says specifically even in his health. I wish you were as thriving and healthy outside as you are inside. We have a tendency to separate those things a lot of times. To say, separate some type of flesh from spirit idea. That's a Gnostic idea, as a matter of fact. But what he's conveying to Gaius is that God's not just concerned with him on Sunday. Grace isn't just for us on Sunday. The favor of God is poured out on our entire life. The problem that we often have is that it doesn't look like we think that it should look a lot of times. We think we know what prosperity should look like, and prosperity should look like us being healthy and buff and ripped and having tons of money, driving nice cars, all of these things. We have this idea of prosperity, and we, for that reason, split spiritual from physical. But John is saying here, he said, I wish more than anything that you were prospering in every manner, in all respects, in your health, in your family, in your marriage, everything that you're doing, I wish it was prospering. That's what I want to see. But as he even continues down through here, he says, For I have rejoiced when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. So we see this idea of John wanting to see Gaius prosper in health and in all other ways, just like his soul is prospering. And he's going back now and saying that he's rejoicing greatly because he's heard about what's happening inside of Gaius, about the prosperity of his soul, because that prosperity is being testified of by people. I will blame this on the reason I keep calling John Paul, because if you remember Philemon, that's the same thing that Paul was saying about Philemon. He's saying, I have heard this stuff about you. John here, he says, I greatly rejoice. He was happy to hear that Gaius was walking in the truth. That's what he says there. Even as thou walkest in the truth. 
if we read throughout the New Testament, we see other things happening. We would like to think that everyone was walking in the truth, but there's a reason that we have a lot of the Pauline epistles. The Galatian church had drifted away from grace. They were holding on to works of the law rather than looking back to the grace of God. They were walking, in a sense, in their own way. And the book of Revelation says that the church at Ephesus had drifted from the love of God. But John here, and even in 2 Peter, are, is seeing growth, is seeing increase, is seeing prosperity in the soul of Gaius. And John just pretty much explicitly says that that makes him happy. He is glad that he's seeing and he's hearing that Gaius is walking in the truth. So that comes, brings us to the question, what does walking in the truth even mean? Does it mean that we have all of our doctrine right? Does it mean that we have all of our standards correct? Does it mean that we know everything about everything and we are never veering from the path of the truth that we have seen? If we look throughout the other epistles of John, I think we can get an understanding of what walking in the truth is. If you look in 1 John 1, chapter number 7, it says that walking in truth is basically the same as walking in the light. In the book of 2 John, verse number 6, it says that walking in truth is walking according to the commandments of Christ. In 2 Corinthians, chapter number 5, we see that walking in truth is walking by faith. In Galatians, chapter number 5, walking in truth is walking in the Spirit. In Acts chapter number 13, walking in truth means to continue in the grace of God. In Colossians chapter number 1, walking in truth is seen as the same as continuing in faith. To sum up all of these verses of Scripture, what walking in truth means is that we are refusing to be seduced, to be pulled away into sin and we're refusing to be pulled away into trusting ourselves. If you remember back to the book of Hebrews as we were going through that Hebrews chapter number 12 he says to lay aside the sin and all the things that beset you. That's what walking in truth means. We are not being beset by looking to ourselves, looking inside of ourselves, trying to make sure that we are doing it all right. We are correcting everything that we're doing. And it also means that we're not being pulled away into sin. Walking in truth means to be stayed on and to settle in to the person of Christ. In short... The book of 1 John chapter number 2 says that walking in truth is to walk in the same manner that Jesus walked. And in John chapter number 5 verse number 19, we see that Jesus walked in total dependence on the Father. That's how we're called to walk. And who has the Father given us? He's given us Christ. Christ is in us 
we are in Christ, and we are to walk in total dependence in what Christ has done. Because that's what God gave us. God has given us the finished work of Christ. In a sense, we could say it this way. We know who the truth is. Walking in the truth means to be walking in Christ. Second John, verse number 2, says that the truth abides in us. And if you go over to John chapter number 15, you see the discourse that Jesus gives about abiding in him and him abiding in you. This union with Christ is again built into the text of 3 John, just like we saw was built into the text of Philemon. We're walking in the light that Christ has given us. We're walking in the fact that even though we are sinners, he is a savior. Even though we commit grievous acts against God, he's merciful and he's shown us mercy in Christ. We're walking in the truth of who Christ is and what he has done. Verse number five, or I guess verse number four, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John just says to guys, he says, I am overjoyed that you're walking in truth. As a matter of fact, I have no greater joy in my life than to hear that those who have been saved are walking in the same way that you're walking. Verse number five, he talks about Gaius' hospitality. And we're going to see some contrast here between the book of 3 John and the book of 2 John. He says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. He calls Gaius again, Beloved. And he tells him that you are doing or acting in a faithful way when you do things to the brethren and to strangers. What Gaius had apparently been doing is showing hospitality to the ones who were coming into their assembly. Again, if you remember back to what I was saying, there were people who were traveling around to these different churches and were bringing to them the good news. In the New Testament specifically, what you often see is Paul and Peter and John and Jude, these men are writing letters and they are sending it with someone. They're having someone deliver this letter. And typically you'll hear phrases like, I hope to see you soon. In Philemon, he said, get my room ready. I hope to see you soon. In 2 John, he says, I want to see you and tell you this thing, these things face to face. John wasn't the only man who was doing this kind of thing. There were other people who were going around and delivering these letters to these churches. And John says here that Gaius had been acting faithfully to these people. He had been showing them hospitality. He had been bringing them into the church. And then he had been generous in what he had given to them, how he had helped them go on their way. And it wasn't just Jewish people that they were showing hospitality to. He says he was doing this to the brethren and to strangers. There were Gentiles who were coming through with the good news of the gospel and Gaius was showing hospitality to them as well. We see these actions 
In verse number six, he says, which has borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. What John was doing here is he was sending them on their way in a manner that was worthy of a Christian. When he says there, they have borne witness of of that charity before the church, John is saying these people who have come to you are telling other churches about the charity that you have shown. And then he says, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort. Basically what John is saying here, when he says bring them forward on their journey, he says send them on their way. In a manner, Paul, John was saying here that he didn't let these people go out empty-handed. He brought them in. He showed them hospitality. He gave them what they needed, and he gave them things as he sent them on their way. If you turn over back to the book of 2 John, this corresponds with something that we read in 2 John. If you remember verse number 10, If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine. What doctrine is he talking about? The doctrine of Christ. Because he says in the verse right above it, if they don't abide in the doctrine of Christ, they do not have God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. If any man bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker in his evil deeds. John was telling the church... In 2 John, there are going to be people who see what's going on and they're going to take advantage of that. There are people like that today. I know everybody hates to hear it, but there are people just like that. They see that the church is an easy sheep to fleece because they'll believe what you tell them. There are people who are coming in they were preaching other things. And John told them in 2 John, don't bring them in, don't give them money, and don't send them on their way with your blessing. Because if you do that, you are funding their evil deeds. If you see someone who is contrary to the gospel of Christ, don't fund what they're doing. In a a little sense, we see a little bit of of an associationalism, if you allow me to use that word, in the book of 3 John. Because the people who were coming in weren't exactly like Gaius. They may have done things a little bit differently. They even said, he said they're brethren and strangers. They may have had a little bit different of a method. They may have had a little bit different of a mindset, but they had the same message. And John was commending Gaius for sending these people out, helping these people out who had the same message. Where in 2 John, we see him saying, if they don't have the same message, don't help them out. So 
So if someone comes, says that they a, are a minister of the gospel, and they come into the church, and they in fact are not a minister of the gospel, it's not a good idea for the church to support that person. If they are a minister of the gospel then it's okay for the church to support that person. That's, in a sense, what John is telling them here. He said, I've heard what you've done. You have discerned between the good and the bad. Where the church in second, John may have been struggling with that a little bit. He said, you have seen these men. You have brought these people in. And you have sent them on their way. He uses the word here, after a godly sort. You showed them the love of God. And it's no wonder because that's what he's walking in. He's walking in the truth of God. He's understanding the love of Christ. And that is coming through Gaius, just like we see it coming through the Apostle John. He closes out this section, verses 7 and 8, before he gets into a little bit of a rebuke about a specific person. But he closes out here, he says, Because that for his namesake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may be fellow helpers to the truth. This is what I was getting at when I was saying what Gaius was doing. He said, the reason that you were showing them hospitality, the reason that you were helping them out, and the reason that John was giving him a a commendation is because of verse number 7. You did well in sending these guys out. You did well in showing hospitality because for his namesake, they were going out. The reason that they were doing this The reason they were proclaiming the gospel, the reason they were going around to these churches and encouraging them was for the name of Christ. And one of the ways that John knew this, he says they took nothing from the Gentiles. We have to understand the culture here a little bit. The Jewish people were used, they were used to giving. All throughout the Old Testament, we see this happen sometimes inconsistently and they were rebuked for it. And even in the New Testament, we see people bringing things into the temple because what God had set in place for the Jewish people was that they would bring part of what they had into the Levites. And the book of Deuteronomy says that that was the portion of the Levites. All the other tribes were given land. They were given places where they could raise crops, where they could be successful, where they could prosper. But the Levites were not given land. God said, I am your portion. So the system that God had put in place was that all of these other tribes would bring part of what they were producing off of their land And they would bring those portions in to the Levites. And the Levites lived off of the portion that the other tribes were bringing in. The Levites were called to do the work of God. And that's the system that the Jewish people would have understood. But what was going on 
seemingly in this day was that there were these people that were going around and they were not only calling for things from the Jews who were used to giving out money and showing hospitality, but they were trying to force the Gentiles into it as well. And with that understanding, books like 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians can start to make sense. Because Paul tells them, he says, when you give, give of a cheerful heart. He says, not under compulsion, not because you have to, not because you've been forced to, not because you've been told that you need to, but give out of your heart because God loves a cheerful giver. Paul was telling the Corinthian church, if somebody comes in telling that you have to give, then don't do it. But that's what people were doing in this first century. There were people who were going to these Gentile churches and they were trying to get money to fund their ministry. But John says these people who went out for the sake of the gospel that Gaius was showing discernment and hospitality towards, they weren't taking anything from the Gentiles. They weren't going around asking for stuff. Their mission was singular. It didn't have anything to do with gaining money, but spreading the message of Christ. Verse 8, he says, Where we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow or helpers to the truth. And we see that whole idea of to the truth, walking in the truth, even in verse number 8. He said there's a certain kind of people that you ought to be showing hospitality towards. And that kind of people that you ought to be showing hospitality towards are the ones who are preaching the gospel and they're not asking they're not asking for stuff from the Gentiles. They're not trying to force you into giving to them. And just to be blunt, if you want to look at this in a 20th or 21st century aspect, if you see someone that is on TV that is telling that you, you that you should give money or their ministry is going to fail, then let it fail. Because that's what people... The, the same... There were these prosperity guys in the first century just like there are today. There were people who saw that they could make money from the people of God then, just like there are people who see that they can make money for the people of God today. But he says the ones who aren't out for that are the ones that you should be showing hospitality towards. Those are the ones that you should be helping. Because we therefore ought to receive them. We ought to do this. Why should we be showing hospitality? Why should we be showing the love of God, whether it be financial or whatever other means, to these people who are spreading the gospel, not for their own gain, but for the gain of Christ? He says that we may be fellow helpers to the truth. He says when you're showing hospitality to these people, you're not showing hospitality to them. You're showing hospitality to the truth that is going out. You're not giving money to these people. You're giving money that the truth may go. And again, this is very, very similar to what Paul teaches in the books of, in the first and second book of Corinthians. When he teaches about giving, even when he talks about giving, he talks about Macedonia giving. He talks about other churches that were giving churches. When he talks to them, he is telling them that he doesn't want this for himself, but that the truth may abound. 
As a matter of fact, in those texts, Paul wasn't even raising money for himself. He was raising money for the persecuted church in Jerusalem. He wasn't trying to buy himself a tractor trailer with his name on the side of it. He was trying to raise money for a persecuted church. Because the persecuted church in Jerusalem had the truth going out from it. And they're the ones who needed help. So that's 1 John Verse number one down to verse number eight. As we do go through the rest of the book, he does switch gears a little bit and starts to explain to them who is doing this the wrong way. So as guys, y'all are doing it the right way. I have no greater joy than to see these things. And hopefully that can be said of us. Hopefully when those that we have affected personally, those that we have affected even as an assembly, hopefully when they look at us, when they see our lives, they can find joy in what they see. Hopefully when we look at other people that we have impacted, that we have helped, that we have maybe even shown Christ to them, hopefully we can be like John and say, I'm happy to see how y'all are doing. I'm happy to see the growth that's in y'all. I'm so excited that you're getting hold of the gospel, that you're seeing Christ fresh and anew. Because that's what John had. That was the heart of John. And I think we can make the argument that's the heart of God. Because he sees us, the book of Ephesians says, in enough love that he placed us in his Loved. And a matter of fact, that's the same word that you see in the book of John where God said, This is my beloved son, and who I'm well pleased, hear ye him. The same word that John uses when he makes that account of what God said is the same word he uses here. So if we wanted to talk about how God sees us, he sees us like he sees Christ. And if we look at each other, we ought to see each other the same way. We ought to see each other like we see Christ and show each other. Love that we have been shown. Let's pray. Lord.